What's up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today. We've had a massive trade in the NFL. Longtime Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl winning quarterback Russell Wilson has been shipped out from Seattle. He's headed to the Denver Broncos in quite a surprising move given we had not heard much rumors about Russell Wilson potentially being moved to the Broncos. We know the Broncos had their eyes very much set on Aaron Rodgers. But after we learned later in the earlier in the day that Aaron Rodgers would be staying in Green Bay, he seems to be lined up for perhaps a record-breaking deal to remain a Green Bay Packer. The Broncos quickly pivoted and made a blockbuster trade for Russell Wilson. It includes several players going to the Seattle Seahawks. It includes several first-round and second-round picks going to the Seattle Seahawks. So quite a big move. Kendall and I will break that down in just a bit. I mentioned Aaron Rodgers has made his decision. He will not be leaving the Green Bay Packers. He has decided to return to Green Bay after all of the hullabaloo, uh, all of this uh, vanity project that he's been on, um, all the attention he's been seeking. It's all for not. It is all really for, it ended up kind of being a nothing burger. He's going to return to the Packers. And like I said before, some outlets are reporting he may be in line for a record-setting deal, though Rodgers is not confirming the terms of his agreement with the Packers. He is, according to Pat McAfee, telling folks that he will be back in Green Bay. Also, a really kind of bizarre story in the NFL. Wide receiver Calvin Ridley, who you guys will remember, uh, a former uh, Alabama wide receiver, star at the University of Alabama for Nick Saban. He's been a, a, a star for the for the Atlanta Falcons, though he did not play much this season. He had been dealing with a mental health issue. He took most of the 2021 season. I don't want to say take it off. That's not, not the right term. But he, he stepped away from the team to handle the mental health issues he said he, he was battling. He has now been suspended by the NFL for the entire 2022 season for betting on NFL games. So it's kind of apropos that you go from all the talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame and some of these steroid users not getting in. And then, of course, when you talk about those guys, Pete Rose, of course, gets mentioned, and he's not get, he has not gotten into the pro, pro, excuse me, to the pro Baseball Hall of Fame because he bet on baseball games. Here, the NFL laying the hammer down on Calvin Ridley, banning him for a whole season for betting on NFL games. I have a lot to say about that. I know Kendall does as well, so that should be a good discussion as well. And I want to talk about Mike Krzyzewski, the head coach of Duke. He coached his last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium, and it was quite a spectacle for a lot of different reasons. And I thought the reaction to Mike Krzyzewski's last game and some of the, shall I say, R.I.P. Bozo um, replies we saw and the reactions that we saw from people around the college basketball world when Duke lost that game was quite fascinating to me. And I want to ask Kendall why he thought that was for a coach that we all kind of, I think, acknowledge, even people who don't like Duke, think, you know, is one of the greatest coaches in sports history, let alone college basketball history. But a lot of people dancing on Duke's grave after that really kind of a surprising loss to North Carolina at home um, in that last game. And some weird stuff happening after the game on the handshake line. I'm sure uh, the, the, the crusade that Kendall started that I've joined with him, a hashtag abolish the line. We'll talk about that plenty as well. So <laughs> this is going to be a good show. As you guys can hear, I am very excited to talk about all these topics. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. And Kendall, we are approaching, or we're really kind of, I almost feel like this is March Madness. I know some people say, oh, it's not March Madness until the tournament starts. But to me, once no, you see those, con- yeah, I agree. Once you see those once conference March tournament games, 
Yeah, and, and especially once you once we get a, a buzzer beater, beater, which we had in that just outstanding game we saw between Furman and Chattanooga, I think that at that point, March Madness has begun. Once you see a crazy <laughs> buzzer beater, some team, some guy is running around the, the court with his shirt off, another team is laying on the, on the ground crying. Once you see that kind of stuff, then March Madness has began. It doesn't matter that the NCAA tournament hasn't started. And we're starting to see that. But, Kendall, you, you, you pointed out something that I thought also was bizarre that was happening in the Atlantic Sun. I want you to uh, keep people up to speak. I know you weren't very happy with what you saw out of there. Yeah, no, yeah. So, um, by the way, you mentioned the Calvin Ridley stuff. Uh, this show is not brought to you by DraftKings uh, or FanDuel. Um, no, it so, is not. <laughs> a disclaimer. But, um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to uh, the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament, again, like you said, we're, we're huge college basketball fans. March Madness is the best month. March is the best month. March Madness is the best sports month uh, around, and it's it's been a great start to to March Madness. But what what what's bothered me was the Atlantic Sun and the way they've handled their conference tournament. Um, if you haven't been paying attention, the 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 conference tournament was won by a school called Bellarmine. Uh, Bellarmine, uh, if you don't recognize the the school, it's not a it's not a surprise. Uh, I think a lot of people that have watched college basketball this year haven't recognized them because they're only in their second year in Division One. So uh, they're a new school uh, in 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 these in these waters, and because of that, there is a rule where a team has to be in Division One for four years before they can play in the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm not completely sure what the what the logic is. I'm sure there is a logical reason to it, but. Maybe I'm giving the NCAA more credit than they deserve. Um, but for whatever reason, uh, the schools have to wait four years after they make it to Division One. Um, with that being the case, usually it's not an issue because you're like a Division Two school is not going to make the NCAA tournament in their first two or three years. Um, but Bellarmine uh, won the Atlantic Sun Conference Tournament. They also finished second, I believe, in the regular season. Um, they won the conference tournament, just blew out jacksonville the jacksonville dolphins um in their conference championship game were clearly the best team in the conference and were not eligible to play in the conference tournament so in fact the atlantic sun then said do we take jacksonville who uh lost in the conference championship game no their 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 decision was let's go to the regular season champion who was neither jacksonville nor bellarmine uh, who wasn't eligible anyway. The the regular season champion was, in fact, Jacksonville State, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks, who lost to Jacksonville in the conference semifinal in the tournament. And so we had a really weird situation yeah. where the conference championship game, you had one side, Jacksonville, playing for a, ch- a shot to, win- to make it to the tournament. You had another team in Bellarmine that was playing only for pride and no – uh, no chance at making getting a bid to, into the NCAA tournament. And then you had a team in Jacksonville State who didn't wasn't even playing in the conference tournament who could get a bid if an automatic qualifying bid if they if Jacksonville lost. So it was a bizarre situation. And to me, I think it starts first of all. It starts with Bellarmine not being allowed in the NCAA tournament. That's the biggest issue. Um, they're not the only school. Uh, that's dealing with this. It's not the only school that have dealt with this in the past, obviously. Uh, Grand Canyon was a popular one a couple of years ago where they, you know, Colangelo's and, you know, a bunch of power brokers on the West Coast and in the Arizona region 
Uh, the state of Arizona really pushed that program to, into Division One and turned them into a mid-major, you know, I wouldn't say power, but a strong mid-major program. Mm-hmm. And but they weren't allowed into the NCAA tournament for a long time. Um, and we're seeing it this year as well at Cal Baptist, another school in California, playing in the WAC conference, who is not allowed to play in the conference tournament or in the in the conference championship game, despite the fact that they've got one of the best young players in the West Coast in Taron Armstrong and, you know, very likely could be an NCAA tournament level team. Um, so, yeah, it's you've got multiple schools dealing with that, but these are teams that there's no reason to punish the players for being really good and ultimately not being allowed to play in the NCAA tournament because they're they moved up to me. I'm like, if they moved up a division and they were able to win the, they were able to win their conference. That like is even more impressive than anything else. So I don't, I don't know. I don't get it personally. Um, but if they're not, that's an NCAA rule. I don't think that's a, that's not an Atlantic Sun rule. But no, I think, no, yeah. I think the Atlantic Sun then should say, look, I, I hate the rule as much as anyone else, but I don't think Bellarmine should be in the conference tournament at that point. And if we're gonna go to if we're gonna go to that level, I wouldn't have a problem with that. But if you're gonna say, look, we're gonna be nice, we're gonna be inclusive, we're gonna let everybody participate, I don't also don't have a problem with that. But then my other thing would be, I think the team that makes the conference tournament, if Bellarmine wins it, I think the runner-up should be the team that makes the tournament. And I know that may be controversial because now the conference championship game gets tainted because you have a team that's already in it. I I mean, honestly, it'd be the same deal if Jacksonville State would have made it, so it doesn't really matter. So. To me, I would have I would have just put Jacksonville and made that Jacksonville State game the championship. Yeah, and, and I know for some people this may sound a little bit confusing. I thought Kendall did a really good job of breaking it down. Trust me, it was even more confusing to me when Kendall reminded me before we started the show that Jacksonville State is not in Florida. It's a Jacksonville yeah, no. State. Yeah, you're Alabama, thinking oh, that's, a, that's a hot vetted <laughs> rivalry right now, right? Yeah. Jacksonville, Jacksonville State. I don't think Jacksonville State, like I don't think they were in the A Sun for a long time. I don't know what yeah, kind of- and then I, and then apparently I also learned according to PTI <laughs> this game was played in Kentucky, which I'm like, why is a, a, a conference that has Atlantic in its name playing? Yeah, well, it was played, games it was played at Bellarmine, who I did found out actually they play at Freedom Hall where Louisville used to play. Um, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. Which that. is it shows you they they probably know this was a lot of money pouring. Through. Yeah, I think it sounds like to me that that whole because you know I remember when like NJIT was becoming Division One and they were right. like. And I, I think I was actually in high school at that time, and it, they, you know, it was kind of like this was a team that probably had no business being like a Division One team, like they didn't have the infrastructure or anything to kind of right. do it, and they they struggled during that transition period. I think that transition period is supposed to kind of help you. I think trying to help you kind of manage expectations. I'm sure there are also, I, I think other schools would probably argue like, well, there are certain like advantages these teams have when you're in that transition period that perhaps other teams don't. I would assume that's why they're saying, okay, somehow you use these advantages to go to the tournament. We're not going to allow you to get in because we're trying to get you up to speed, so to speak. But I agree. I thought to me, you know, I, I think there's no reason that to, to have the situation where teams who are newly Division One can't make the tournament. That doesn't make really much sense. Uh, I don't particularly think Particularly when it's these small conferences. I know all the conferences. And particularly when, to me, I think, uh, like, to me, like, the, the, like, you mentioned Grand Canyon, and then you have this Barrelamine example where these new teams that are coming into Division One, like, these are not, like, Sisters of the Poor anymore. Yeah. Like, these are, like, real programs with, like, real backing. And they get, they get mega pushes to yeah. come into Division One basketball. And if, if, you know, people who know, uh, hoops, and if, you know, if you played basketball at a semi 
high level in high school, I would say, or if you played in a course in college or in junior college, you know that there are plenty of Division two schools that would wipe the floor with low D1 schools. Like, and, and, and wouldn't even be close. Like, like Division two doesn't just mean, oh, those are just scrub teams. And I think there may have been a time, a different time, a different period where maybe it would have been, okay, those teams are definitely going to need a lot of help. But the system has kind of been, for lack of a better term, kind of manipulated for these schools that can kind of get good really fast. So I, I think that they need to kind of adjust it. I agree. If the, if, if the A10, excuse me, the A-Sun was going to do this, I think they should have, you know, decided, okay, whoever gets to the championship, you'll play for a championship game. But the, the guy, if they have to play battle line, like, they get in. Like, I don't think it's fair that, like, uh, a Jacksonville could punch Jacksonville State in a semifinal game. And then the team that they beat gets in ahead of them because, you know, because a team that is not eligible wins. That that to me doesn't Very make much sense. Like to me, like if you're like that's the case, then don't don't have a conference and tournament. Honestly, like, you, you want to like, know to me the conference tournament shouldn't really matter if you're gonna have a result like that. Well, look, man, we always say. I mean, the Ivy League had the had the smartest, most efficient way of picking their champion, which is don't have a conference tournament. Yeah, just don't have one. You have yeah. the most odds of moving forward. And, and guess what? For a long time, of all the mid-major conferences, the Ivy League was kind of steady. As a, they were the most dangerous. <laughs> that would get first-round upsets. We know yeah. what Purdue did to uh, Georgetown and UCLA back in the day. We know what yeah. Penn has done in the past. We know what Yale has done in the past. We know what Harvard has done in the past. And it's because they they put they make sure they're putting their best best team out there no matter what. They're not letting some team get hot in their conference tournament. I know they've changed the rules now, but they're not letting some team get hot in a conference tournament who maybe in normal instances wouldn't be ready for that kind of competition in the NCAA tournament get in. So that's why did they you, have a lot of success. You see this also this new trend that's even more sickening to me uh, of these conferences that, like James Madison, for example, is leaving the Colonial Athletic Conference to go to, I want to say, the Sun Belt or Conference USA, one of those one of those two conferences, I believe. And so I believe it was the Sun Belt. And, and the, so the Colonial Athletic Conference, the CAA, said then James Madison can't play in the conference tournament. Yeah, that's Bush League. You can't do that. that. That's, that's egregious. I think that that is borderline criminal. You know, I think that they should be sued. If I was, you know, if I was James Madison, I would sue them. Uh, it may yeah. be something in their contract, but I, to me, you can't bar me from playing in the conference tournament. You know, my only and, chance of getting into the NCAA tournament because yeah, that, I, that affects that affects. I play, I, play in a, I play in a scrub league, and you know we're not going to get a you know uh, at large bid. Yeah, playing, playing in this league. Yeah, that's yeah. And I've seen, I've heard and that kind of thing it's, before. It's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Jay Billis, I mean, he's been all over these situations all year, and it, it comes down to the just the nonsense of these administrators who say it's all about the kids. <laughs> it's all about the well-being of the kids, and yet when a school decides to move up a conference, moves up, moves up, move up in conferences, you decide. Well, then they can't play in the conference tournament, therefore ending the season of these kids because of contracts and money. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible, and it, I'm glad you you brought up this uh this whole situation with uh mine and, and some of these other you know situations with these teams and switching conferences and going to D one, D two and and I think the NCAA you know probably is a little embarrassed today to, to have this whole situation play out. It's a great story for Bellarmine. It's nothing against those kids like the, you know the fact that they can go from Division two in their first year 
you know, or whatever year. I think it was the first year in Division One. Yeah, first year in Division One, and they they win their conference tournament. And you know, the A Sun is not a it's a low it's a low major conference, but it's a decent conference. Like that's not yeah. you know they're that's not a Sisters of the Poor kind of conference. And and like you know, they win the league in their first year, like in in the tournament. Like that's pretty remarkable. And they were a pretty high seed in that conference too. It wasn't like this was again a team kind of catching fire and randomly going on some runs. So. Uh, so shout out to those kids, but yeah, I feel bad for the kids of, uh, of Jacksonville who, you know, the team that they beat in the conference tournament is somehow being allowed to go ahead of them in the NCAA tournament. Uh, that, that to me is something that don't seem right about that. And um, I hope that maybe this example will, will force the NCAA to kind of rethink their rules with that. But, um, let's get back to the NFL and that's going to be a large portion of today's show. Again, we'll talk more college basketball when we get to the end with coach K, but I do want to mention this Russell Wilson trade because, I tell you what, this this was surprising to me. It was surprising, I think, because of just the the speed that this move happened. Because you get the notification, Rodgers is staying in Green Bay, which isn't super shocking. You know, we we, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew that was an option. So yep. you see that happen. You're like, okay, Rodgers staying in Green Bay. What is this going to mean for the rest of the league? And, like, bang, an hour later, hour and a half later, <laughs> Denver Broncos, the the one team that I think was was most linked to Aaron Rodgers as a potential destination outside the Green Bay Packers, they make a trade and they trade for Russell Wilson, a player who we knew had kind of been hinting, low key, kind of positioning himself maybe to be traded, but then also Wait, he speaking to public, he would also talk about how he he really loves Seattle and he's not necessarily just looking to jump ship. What were you gonna say, Kendall? I was just gonna ask what what gave it away? Was it the the list of four or five teams that he was <laughs> interested in going to, if, in fact, he was hypothetically <laughs> traded? Uh, maybe. Maybe maybe it had a little bit to do with it. Now, to, to I guess, defend him a little bit, he did have a no-trade clause, so I guess it was, he had to tell him at some point where he would or wouldn't go. But, yeah, that was definitely quite the indication that maybe he was uh, ready to, to see where uh, the grass may be greener somewhere else. But, but again, you know, I felt like the Russell Wilson kind of, Unlike Aaron Rodgers, where, like, he was very kind of open about how, yeah, man, I'm looking to see what else is out there. And, and I think even maybe Tom Brady a couple of years ago when he was about to become a free agent. Like, Russell Wilson, like, besides, like, those little things, some of those cheap shots he was taking at the offensive line over the course of the years, there really wasn't this disposition of him, like, saying, yo, man, get me out of here. Like, it was it was just very weird. Like, it's very weird if you follow kind of, kind of like, how he's been uh, – talking about the team over the, the last two seasons that I wasn't 100% sure he was even going to get traded. Like, I, I wasn't convinced that the, the Seagulls were going to move on. Like, I didn't necessarily hear anything that was convincing from Pete Carroll that they definitely wanted to keep him, but he didn't sound like it was, like, a, a, a done deal that he was definitely going to be out. So when you get the notification, an hour and a half after Aaron Rodgers had decided that Green Bay is going to be his home perhaps for the rest of his career, bang, there you go right there. Another Schefter bomb. Rappaport bomb. I don't know who got it first. I want to give them both credit, um, but one of them got it first. That Wilson. That was Schefter. That was Schefter. Okay. Rodgers. I mean, Rappaport got Rodgers. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so Schefter bomb. Uh, uh, Russell Wilson headed to the 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 Denver Broncos, a team that had been badly searching for a quarterback since Peyton Manning left. They tried through the draft. They tried through free agency. They tried through trades. None of their options since Peyton Manning retired has worked. So here they finally get kind of more of a, you would think, a more established star quarterback and a more established player and a guy you feel more confident about 
as a guy who could maybe potentially take you at the very least to the postseason, maybe even further. Going back to Seattle, I think Seattle got quite a decent deal, and I'm surprised. I'm hearing kind of mixed things on people in terms of how they feel about Seattle's haul in this. But you get Drew Locke. I'm not going to really say much about Drew Locke being like, you know, the, the heir apparent to Russell Wilson, but he's going back to Seattle. Noah Fant, tight end, pretty good player. He's going over to Seattle. Uh, Shelby Harris, who actually had a really good year last year. I think he had six or six and a half sacks last year. Um, defensive lineman, he goes over to to uh, to Seattle. And then you add two first-round picks, including this year's number nine pick in the draft, which is very important for Seattle considering they were supposed to have a top-ten pick in this draft. But, of course, the Jamal Adams trade uh, sent their pick to the Jets. So now the Jets have two first-round picks, one of them Seattle's pick. So Seattle's able to gain one of those picks back. By, uh, by by making this trade, they also get a first for next year, and then you get two seconds, including the, the 40th pick this year, uh, a 2023 second-round pick for next year, and they also get the fifth pick in this year's draft. They're sending back a fourth, so you swap fourth and fifth to get the, 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 the two ones and the two twos. So overall, in, in my opinion, I feel like Seattle did okay. Now, I think an argument can be made for me that as good as Fant and Harris are, and they're legitimately pretty good players, would you have been better suited to just get more draft picks? And you're not going to get first-round picks for those guys. But, I mean, you know, would you be better off getting, you know, another fourth or another fifth, you know, instead of, you know, taking those two players only because we know Seattle, at least it appears, they appear to be in tank mode. They appear to be in, or as we call, rebuild, as what I said on Twitter. I said tank, Er, I meant rebuild. Right. they're definitely in a different transitional period. Like they're in a, a hellacious division where they are clearly the fourth team. And when you trade a player like Russell Wilson, it's highly unlikely you're going to be able to get a quarterback, his caliber that are going to, that's going to keep you in contention in a division where you finished in last place convincingly last year, by the way. So it appears they're in again, rebuild. So does it make sense to add two players, uh, especially Shelby Harris, who's 30 years old, who may help contribute to wins and, you know, I know we're going to, we're going to have a funny conversation about this later, but, you know, <laughs> contribute to uh, maybe, you know, uh, halting the tank in a way. I don't know. I, that, that's, I think that's a interesting question I would probably have for Seattle in terms of why they took those veterans back. But I think for starters, it'll help whoever their young quarterback is starting next year that he does have a safety blanket and no offense. The, the, the defense for Seattle has been miserable. And it's been one of the biggest problems to me has been their, their lack of a pass rush, their lack of, of, a, of, of, of a, a strong point of attack on the defensive line. So adding Shelby Harris will help them. But I, I, that, that was a little question. But they, 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 got a good, they got a pretty good package in this. And then for the, for the Broncos, for me, I, I think this is a deal you have to do. I know, it, to me, I think this is a lot. Like, this is a lot for me to give up two firsts in two seconds for a team that, while they have a lot of talent, they are also in a hellacious division. They make this trade. I'm still not convinced the Broncos are the second best team in this division. Now, could they be? Yes, and there's a there's, they have a very much a fighting chance to to be that. But there's still, of course, the Chiefs, and we know they're going to be the class of the AFC probably for the foreseeable future. You still got the Las Vegas Raiders. Who I know they're changing regimes a little bit, but they they made the playoffs last year. You got the Los Angeles Chargers with uh with, with Justin Herbert another year of development. They re-signed Mike Williams. I was not, I was a little surprised that they re-signed him. I think that's a good move. 
Um, I, I really kind of was penciling him maybe being elsewhere. He didn't get the franchise tag. They didn't trade him. He is coming back. He signed today. We recorded this podcast on Tuesday, March 8th. And, 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 and you know, they, they kind of flopped at the end of the year. But we know there's a lot of talent there. So Denver, strong defense. We know they got playmakers. But a tough division, it's a bit of a gamble. But it's a gamble you have to take because they just had no chance with the guys that they had. And given where the roster is at, you I don't think drafting a quarterback or getting another young guy was going to be the answer to to what this team's clock is. And it's not to say they have old players, but you know you don't want to waste the primes of some of these guys, these these, these young athletic uh, star skill players, while they're still young and, and still able to make an impact. So I like to deal for both teams. It's one of those rare deals where I feel like both teams did pretty well. For Seattle, I, I the only knock I'd say was did you need Fenton Harris? But again, they're decent players, so I can't be too mad at that. But overall, man, this is this quite a seismic shift in the NFC West and the AFC West. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with almost everything you said. Um, I'm a little bit more Grinch. I'm a little bit more of the Grinch today where I'm like, was this a good deal for both teams? Or was Wait, this... you said I agree. You said you agree with what I both said. Now you're like, I don't think well, that, yeah, I don't no. know if this is a good deal for both teams. Yeah, team. I agree what, with what a lot of the details that you said. Okay. Your overall macro point. I may disagree in the slightly, slightly I because I saying. feel like I think they may have both not made a great deal. Interesting. Okay. For all the reasons that you said, you mentioned Seattle. I mean, I, I understand they may have felt realistically with the team that they put out there last year with Russell Wilson that they couldn't, they couldn't compete in that division. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to beat the Rams. They weren't going to beat. San Francisco, although that could be debated, and they, that they weren't going to beat Arizona, um, and that they were the fourth team running in that division with Russell Wilson. So you felt like with his timeline and his his clock, you mentioned might be best. It might be best to just move the push the ball down the field, you know, punt the next two or three years, and hopefully when uh, the Rams' time has run out and. San Francisco's core is a little bit older and hopefully Trey Lance doesn't really, isn't really much of anything. You feel like your team is going to be right there potentially at the top of the division. Um, I think my issue is that I feel like, I still feel like they probably could have gotten more. Um, You know, I, I look at the draft and I really wonder if you would have put, Propose this to the New York Giants. Would the Giants have been interested in giving up two first this year? I don't know if you saw the report, but uh, but apparently, now they don't have the, as good a pick as Denver. But apparently, Washington, yeah, was Washington, to, they were willing to give up the farm. Yeah. Now, they, the was NFC. there an issue? Was there an issue with not trading him NFC? Was there an issue with that's what was Russ not wanting to go there because he has a tr- no trade clause? There's a lot of things that I'm not sure if I'm Russell Wilson and I'm the the kind of, uh, what's the word, like the, the kind of, the, the corporation kind of behind Russell Wilson. I don't know if palling up with Dan Snyder is the thing I want to do right now. Right. He's from the region. So that, that, that is true. I didn't think about that. That's a good point. That was being talked about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, what, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting proposition. I just feel like, and if they're thinking, I, I've never been the guy that's like, I, I need to treat this guy out of the conference. I'm, I'm totally division, with you with that. I think that's I think that's I so get, overrated. But I think it's I think it's overrated. 
Yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to trade him to San Francisco. I'm not saying I'm going to trade him to Arizona. But when we're talking about trading him to the Giants or trading him to Washington, I mean, those teams, especially if your team's not going to win, you, yeah, you know. I, I'm definitely not afraid of doing that when I'm trading an older player to a team that's trying to win now when I'm not trying to win now. Yeah. Like, that that to me doesn't make any sense. Like, to me, like, when the Eagles traded Donovan McNabb, now we know McNabb was cooked. But we right. didn't, like, really know that at the time. Like, when they <laughs> traded McNabb in the division. Like, that was kind of like. But yeah. it didn't. It didn't hurt them at all. And it didn't in the, in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, and it was fine because they were like the the Washington football team. They were a different name at the time. They're they're lousy, and we have a better backup, and we're trying to win a championship. So right, this isn't like the, we're on different levels. Like right. good luck with Donovan McNabb, but like we have an upgrade at the position, and you're way down there. <laughs> so like there were levels to the trade that to me that there wasn't any fear from from Philly. Yeah. But like, like, for example, if, if like, Carolina was like, yeah, we're trying to be good, but we got to move on from McCaffrey. Like, I can understand them saying, I don't want to trade McCaffrey to the Rams. Like, we're still right. trying to win. You know? Right. Yeah. They, they, but, they feel like they're not that far away. Like, this is right. the rules last stand in theory. Right. So we're just trading McCaffrey. They're trying to compete. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, that, that – I think those are different situations. So, that's why for, for – Seattle, I really, I, I wish they could have gotten more. I love them getting no offense. Um, well, you know, I don't know who's throwing him the ball, um, and that's a big issue. Uh, I personally would punt. Did you, see, did you see? Did you see Malik Willis in the uh, in the combine? <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would take a guess that he may be the guy <laughs> next year. He saw that rock. He saw that rocket arm. I think that I, I have a, quite an interesting guess who that might be. Yeah, I mean Malik Willis is an interesting is an interesting proposition. Um, I, look, I mean, I I think this quarterback draft. I understand the, what the people are saying, uh, what the experts are saying. I I don't think it's great, but what I what I, what the GM of the Vi- the new GM of the Vikings, Quasi Adolfo Mensa, said, which I thought was very uh, profound, was that look, people weren't people weren't high on the on the on the Mahomes and. The, the Mahomes and Watson draft. Definitely. Trubisky. That was a bad quarterback draft. Yeah. And we ended up with, you know, two guys that are franchise quarterbacks. We happened to not be the guy that was drafted first, ironically. Um, so you never really know. Um, in this draft, I think we'll have guys that are starters. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but what I would do, even though I just said that, I wouldn't take any of them <laughs> in this draft. <laughs> I, to okay. me, I think you're very much in the – what we talked about with Detroit, where I, last year, where it was like you could take Justin Fields, but would this team be ready to win with this guy? Mm-hmm. And I think Seattle, while they have pieces, like they've got DK, they've got Lockett, you know, we'll see how Chris Carson is coming back from injury, but um, but I still feel like from an offensive line perspective, from a pass rushing perspective, uh, they need to improve. And so, and plus with next year's quarterback draft projecting to be a lot better than this year's. I would, I would push my chips into that table, uh, and and waiting, waiting a year, saying we're gonna be back. Now, real quick on Denver, mm-hmm. I think to me, you, I think you hit the nail on the head again. Even though you say you like the move for both teams, I think, I think that I think that, and to be clear, I think that there are risks that that right. are just I'm willing to make given yeah, where they're at. The you can't be too risk averse when you're right. talking about making deals because. 
there's no good deal that doesn't come with some risk. Right. You know, either that or somebody's getting fleeced. Right. <laughs> exactly. Know? So there's going to be risk involved in these deals. So you can't be scared of risk. Um, I just, to me, it really depends on where you're at in terms of your franchise and are you really trying to go for it? When I look at the, you know, I look at the Broncos in the division they're in, I mean, they didn't have a, an ounce of a, of a chance of winning anything with the current quarterback situation. And with the new quarterback situation, they do have an ounce of a chance of winning something. You know, yeah. Russell Wilson, could he wind up having, could he have the best season of all four quarterbacks in that division? All four of them Pro Bowl level guys. Yes, he could. It's possible, especially with the weapons that he's going to have at his disposal. But that is, that's a possibility, but I wouldn't say that it's the most likely outcome. I think when you're talking about um, Patrick Mahomes, you're talking about Justin Herbert, even what the Raiders did, obviously, like you said, we can't, you know, dismiss them uh, having just made the playoffs. You know, that there also, there is also an outcome where this team is not, is the fourth best team in the, in the division next year. Yeah. And that's what is scary to me is that, you saw Russell Wilson. You saw what Russell Wilson and a flawed football team looked like in a tough division last year, and it was a team that ran fourth in division. And I think this team is better than Seattle, but I also, you know, I don't know. I mean, beyond the team being better, I, I don't, I don't know if they're necessarily better than the other teams in their division. So that's that's really the question. If you if you're the owner or you're the like the GM George Payton, he you know I think he understands that there's going to be a shift in ownership. Yep. You know, with that shift, as we know, as as any anybody who has a position where you're like I, there's there's new new management is coming in and you're 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 you know an executive, you're like look we gotta we gotta show some tangible evidence of success. We can't just yeah you, you know gotta have, you, gotta, you gotta have decent assets. You gotta have decent assets, and the owner can't walk in and be like, "Yeah, oh, you, you know, Peyton, you know, your first two years before I got here, you want to combine like ten games, like, right. you know, that that wouldn't be ideal because as because as we know, then the owner could then say, "Yeah, I think it's time to change management." I mean, that's what David Tepper did in Carolina, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, Carol in Carolina, he saw a lot of losing and was like. You know what? Yeah. yeah, we're gonna hire a new coach, new GM. Yeah, get so, the out of here. That's that's the that's the conundrum that Peyton's in, and I feel like he's looking at that and saying, "We got to be aggressive. We got to get Russell Wilson." And and there is a window where this team could be good. I just think that this is him making the Brady play, you know, and saying, "Look what Tampa did." Yeah, and I, are that's they, are, they, ta- are they Tampa? Question those are they but, Tampa and, good? And, and you know, and that's the question. And you know what? To me, what people forget when they say, "Look, this team is Tampa before Brady," but people have to remember, Tampa before Brady didn't include Tom Brady one. But mm-hmm. on top of that, it also didn't include Rob Gronkowski. It also didn't right. include Leonard Fournette. Mm-hmm. It also didn't Very include Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. It also didn't include Tristan Wirfs, who they drafted mm-hmm. in the first round that year. Facts. We're talking four guys on top of Tom Brady, including, you know, on, on top of including Tom Brady, that are major contributing starting level Super Bowl winning players. Go guys the guys that just don't those types of players don't just grow on trees that join Tom Brady in Tampa. 
that turned them without having one of those guys, Antonio Brown, and then no Chris Godwin as well. They weren't able to win a playoff game, or win a, they weren't able to get out of the divisional round. I should say. Yeah. So I don't know. To me, I think it's it. Look, it as we saw with the, with the Rams, I was probably the same guy last year. If you roll the tape, and I I ain't giving up a first round pick for Matthew Stafford. If you know Jared Goff, if we're giving up Jared Goff, I feel like it's it's a wash. The Rams have a Super Bowl, so they won. That was that was a good that was a good move. Mm-hmm. I was wrong, but. And so if we fast forward a year from now or two or three years from now and Russell Wilson's got a title in Denver, it will be worth it. So it's hard to really say. But to me, if you're asking me, will this result in a title in Denver? I can't say that right now. Now, if tomorrow they go out and they sign Antonio Brown, you know, or they sign Odell, I should say, maybe not AB, but let's say they sign Odell tomorrow. And then the next day they go out and they sign you know, I don't know, some some retired tight end, you know, Jimmy Graham or somebody. They signed Tony Tony uh, Gonzalez out of retirement, and they bring in another top back, and then they draft a left tackle with their first-round pick that they don't have anymore. Mm. Then, or right tackle, I should say, interesting work. Then maybe we'll have that conversation. But I, I don't know if this team had the infrastructure today to win a Super Bowl. Also, forgetting the fact that they have a new coach. I don't know if Nathaniel Hackett's a good coach. You know, I, pe- I also see people comparing it to the Broncos with Peyton Manning. But there was no turnover with Gary Kubiak. Right. There was no turnover. That was a guy who had dealt with Tim Tebow. The defense was was, was, was great. They had, they had, they had an a, a amazing defensive coordinator. It was an amazing defensive defensive. Uh, well, Dennis Allen was the defensive coordinator, did an excellent job. Everything about that team was great outside of I don't even say I'll be respectful. Everything about that team was great outside of the quarterback position and they made the quarterback position great. Right. And so that that is that is a difference where this Denver team could look completely different. Vic Fangio, we could say what we want about him as a head coach and a, you know, a manager of game management, you know, coach, but and by the way, real quick, that was a uh, it was a uh, Wade Phillips who was running the defense. That's why I said Wade that. Phillips. It wasn't, yeah. yeah. So who was Dennis Allen with, or was Dennis Allen there? He was with Hughes. He was there, but that was that was before. Oh, okay, okay. I think but, I think Wade Fields might have replaced him. Interesting, interesting. So Dennis Allen was there with Tebow. I think so. Yeah. Interesting. Tebow um, got that man a job. I, I think he got the head coaching job with Vegas, or at the time Oakland, and yeah. I think then yes, Phillips exactly. Yep. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. To me, I think no, that you, this. Yeah, this is a this is a this is a move that could be interesting. I'm no, excited. you you uh you 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 bodied that. You went for fifty. That's why I didn't have to say much. <laughs> I mean, you you bodied that. I think you made some great points about the differences between this Denver Broncos team and that uh, Buccaneers team, and really outlined it correctly. You know, Denver because they gave up so much, and they even gave up some players. Uh, you know, where who else is coming with Russell Wilson is kind of the question that I think is a fair one to ask. Do they have a pretty decent roster as is? They do. They have a pretty decent roster. But, you know, they have a very difficult division that they're in. And and that's also going to play into, play into a, you know, factoring in how their success could be. You know, Tampa Bay, Brady only had one team in the division. And they were a team on the decline that he was facing. Uh, now, he couldn't. He had a hard time beating them in the regular season. But besides that, you know, the Panthers and Falcons were a joke at that point. So it's a whole different ballgame where you're talking about you're on a division with Pat Mahomes and, you know, 
the, the people who people the guy people comparing to the, the next young Damarino is in your division. This is a whole different ball game than what Tom Brady was facing going to the NFC South. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be very fascinating. The NFL, uh, it's many things, but it is rarely boring, and you know, we saw that with this trade. Real quickly on uh, Aaron Rodgers. Oh, one thing I want to say real quick. Last thing on this, I think a big key for this as well, and people have mentioned it, and it's important to note. This also, in terms of the success of this deal for Seattle, will hedge on how they draft because they have drafted very poorly over the last few years. Um, they one haven't had as many top picks because, of course, last year they had first round pick. This year they didn't have one until this trade. But even the guys they have drafted in the first and second round in recent years have not worked out. Um, Jordan Brooks hasn't really worked out. Twenty twenty first round pick. Uh, uh, Daryl Carter, Daryl Taylor, the second round pick, he hasn't worked out as much really. Um, they have some guys who who weren't even in the NFL much longer after they drafted them in that uh in that second round. Uh, I'm trying to find uh, uh yeah Malik McDowell who they drafted in 2017. Uh, he's not in the league anymore. Um, so they th- they've had some problems drafting in that top one and two rounds. DDA Metcalf has been a stud, but besides him, they've pretty much been all misses. So we can say all we want about, you know, whether or not we like the hall. If you don't draft well, it kind of doesn't matter. So that's going to be a very important note. Is Pete Carroll coaching this team after next season? That's a good question. Uh, If you ask me today, I would probably, and I don't know what the odds would be, but I would take the odds to say no, that he won't be. (laughs) I think that'd probably be a good guess. Yeah, I feel like that'd probably be a pretty good bet. Like, I don't don't think he's going to be standing around for a rebuild. Like, you know, he, because he is so youthful and he is so like, like, you know, he's got a, a lot of energy. People forget how old he is. Like he was old yeah. when he took this job. And, and, you know, and I want to be respectful. I'm not, I think he's the oldest coach in the league. If I'm I not believe mistaken. so. Yeah. And I want to be respectful. Coach. I'm not, you know, like we know that he's, you know, he's 70. Great coach, know, again, yeah. I don't want to be respectful to the seniors, but he's 70. He's 70 years old. So that doesn't sound like a coach. I don't care how youthful you are or how energetic you are. I don't think 70 year old senior citizens are trying to, being rebuilt, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, if, yeah, if you ask me, I would say that this next year, maybe his last year in Seattle, and maybe his last year coaching, when we get to that, that, that <laughs> point in his career, which makes this whole did thing. Did you see, I, I mentioned Brady, really did, you see, uh, did you see Bruce Arians at the Combine when uh, I believe it was Andrew Siciliano asked him if, if Brady wanted to come back, but he wanted to play for another team, would you guys help facilitate a trade? He was like, nope, that's bad yeah. business. Yep, yeah, he said no. Or, or give me five first round picks, <laughs> which I'm all for. I, I thought that it's bad business. That that's bad business. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, you know, yeah. I know some people didn't like it. I thought it was. Hilarious. I don't know why people didn't like that. I'm kind of glad you brought that up. I, I, it, Tom. Last time I checked, Tom Brady is not a free agent. Yeah. And okay, he won you a Super Bowl. <laughs> so what? <laughs> now <laughs> I, think, I did that. That's yeah, I did. Oh, actually, because you won me Super Bowl, now I should be fleeced and let you go wherever you want, even though you signed a contract. Is like absurd. Like, look to me, I think it's like, look, if you're giving me it, like, I don't know, five first round picks is the number. If you're giving me the Wilson package for a guy who's forty five, I mean, I would probably think about it. Well, but, but also, there's in every commentary, there's negotiating. So yeah, yeah we're starting at five first. Now you want to bring <laughs> me down? Let's talk. But exactly. that's where this begins. But no, if Tom Brady wants to play football, it's best for business we're for me. Cutting. It's best for business for me that he's playing for me. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to make sure that happens. And if it doesn't happen. I'm gonna make sure I'm in the absolute best, the best situation to 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 pivot if somehow that can't happen. Particularly, so I had no issue what he that, said. Particularly if the alternative that he's mentioned is Kyle Trask, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on now. What are we talking about? And uh, he was before he was talking about uh, he was talking about what's the name? Blaine, Blaine Gabbert. He was like, I, I don't know. I think, I think this guy. You ever seen this guy Blaine Gabbert in practice? This guy can go. I'm like, this is what we're talking about, and you guys are concerned and confused about why he's like, I don't want to trade Tom Brady. He's trying to. He was out there with a straight face talking about Blaine Gabbert can get it done, and you guys don't understand why he don't want to trade Tom Brady. Come on now. Yeah, I don't know if I've I know y'all are smarter than this. I don't know if I've ever heard a more delusional comment from a coach or GM about personnel than saying that we got Blaine Gabbert at quarter. Like that was like Ricky Davis saying, <laughs> "I don't need LeBron. I, they got Ricky Davis. Like <laughs> who needs LeBron?" <laughs> that, that, that up there, yeah, up what did Ricky? What did Ricky Davis said that I thought they were getting LeBron to help me, to help me score. Yeah, exactly. Here you go. <laughs> Oh man, yo, Ricky Davis, Ricky Davis, man, you know, shout out to uh the the HBO show Winning Time. Like Ricky Davis would be an excellent like character in a basketball show because <laughs> that guy has some wild kind of quotes throughout his career for like being like a very like kind of random player. Um, just a that 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 being my favorite one that when the Cleveland Cavaliers were drafting LeBron James, he's like I thought they were drafting LeBron to help me score. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is a guy who uh, purposely threw the ball off the back his own backboard so he can get a triple double. <laughs> like, this is the kind of character that we're talking about. He'd be perfect for television. By the way, I know we've been on this for a long time. It will will be quickly with Rogers, but Bobby Wagner's ha- Bobby Wagner has been uh, released. So it's funny end of that an era. Would be talked about before the Wilson deal, and I didn't connect the dots. Um, but. I, and I like Bobby Wagner. Yeah, somebody, some people must have known. Some people must have known because they kept talking about it. I don't want to say randomly because I, I heard some stuff during the off season. told me during the end of the regular season about you know the last game for Bobby Wagner in Seattle potentially during the last you know I think week seventeen. I, I think the last game was on the road, but week seventeen. They're saying is this going to be we talk about Russ, but is this is the last game for Bobby Wagner, and yeah. I know that it, it is. Yeah, his cap number was 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 bothersome given the production last year. But I, I I don't get as mad about football players' production on really bad teams because mm-hmm. um, it's just I mean particularly at a position like linebacker. Yeah, you want to talk about a business decision? You gotta make a lot of business decisions, man. You know that receiver is going across the middle. You may not have as hard because you're saying I'm not trying to get hurt on the other end of it. Um, so yeah, I I I feel like Bobby Wagner still has good football in him. Um, 16, I also don't believe sixteen, 16 million dollars against the cap. That was the number that he was looking at. Yeah. Yeah, I don't believe that Denver – I do believe that they've probably been in negotiations for a while, but I also don't believe that this isn't connected to the Rodgers timeline at yeah, all. Yeah, that – I mean, respect, got to Ab, respect, yeah, respect to Adam Schefter. I'm sure that's what they told him. Yeah. They told, they told him cap. Yeah. They told – because the report was like – Adam Schefter was like, you know, this is not at all anything to do with Aaron Rodgers, which is – I'm like, how do you know that for a fact? Because they, they told the him. He's reporting that because they told him that. And yeah, I'm sure they told him with a very strict, straight face, and like they played it straight. Like this is what we're gonna do. But again, there's some level of like common sense and critical thinking that has to be involved when viewing this whole thing. That an hour after Aaron Rodgers said, "I'm going back to Green Bay," that you trade for a different quarterback when you h- hired his offensive coordinator, and yes. it was the most open secret in all of and at all. Of the NFL, but maybe in pro sports, as of right now, that you were aggressively, aggressively going to go after Aaron Rodgers if indeed he wanted out of Green Bay, and that there may even be mutual interest on Aaron Rodgers' part. 
to say, oh, no, all that stuff that you guys heard for all these weeks and months about we us running Rodgers and Rodgers maybe wanted to come here. No, that was hogwash. We always wanted Russell Wilson. I mean, again, common sense and critical thinking has to come into play at some point. That is cap. We know that's not the case. Now, do I believe that they actually called Seattle and said, yo, what would it take? Yeah, that definitely happened. They probably saw the yeah, because they probably said, oh, we're hearing that, you know, man, Aaron Rodgers might go back. Like, we got to figure something out. So, yeah, I'm sure that they did. But I'm also, I know for a fact that they did not pull this trigger until they knew Aaron Rodgers was not a possibility. And if they're yeah. trying to insinuate otherwise, again, it's pure cap. That's all I can say about that. But um, Rodgers going back to Green Bay. I got to be honest, Kendall. And maybe I'm petty. Well, I am petty. You know I'm a petty person. Um, <laughs> you and Rodgers have something in common. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should not be as harsh on him. But I gotta say, man, I want to shout out Russell Wilson. I want to shout out the Denver Broncos. I want to shout out the Seattle Seahawks for making Aaron Rodgers' ego trip a nothing burger. Thank you so much, guys. I really, I really appreciated it. I really it's appreciated sad, it. you guys. You guys just absolutely just you threw it off the backboard and dunked on Aaron Rodgers' ego trip to the point where no one's even talking about anything that's involved with him today. And it makes me happy because at the end of the day, this was not a this was not a, a, a pure kind of experience that was going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. This is a man who loves controversy. This is a man who loves attention. This is a man who loves twisting the needle of people. He admits this. It's not like I'm making things up. And it was very clear today that he wanted the headline to be out that I'm coming back and I've I've agreed to this record-setting $200 million deal. And Denver, Russ, and Seahawks said not so fast. And just like that, we all forgot about Aaron Rodgers. It was so bad that he had to go out and say, actually, no, I didn't actually sign a contract those aren't the terms. Like he just wanted to, he wanted a whole pause on his announcement because he realized it was just, it was just evaporated. It was just evaporated. It just was completely, just completely engulfed by the much larger story, which was Russell Wilson's time ending in Seattle and him being traded to Denver. Aaron Rodgers wasted everybody's time with this nonsense, and now nobody even cares that he's going back, except for the people of Green Bay, and they should care because Rodgers going back is important to them. But I'm just very thankful that. You know, the good guys won. The good guys won. We didn't have to have a whole, you know, thing about Aaron Rodgers and his whole situation and that it was a one-hour story and then it was gone. So I think that that's beautiful. And now when we think about Aaron Rodgers, it's not about him, which is what he always wants the attention about. Now it's about what happens to the rest of the Green Bay Packers roster because if they're really going to give Rodgers all this guaranteed money and this guaranteed salary, this is a team that's like $50 million over the cap. So they just franchised Devontae Adams. They couldn't come to agreement with him. That's not going to make him happy. I know he has a July deadline to try to come up with a deal. That sounds like a potential powder keg, in my opinion. And they got to get rid of a bunch of good players on their roster to get under the cap to make all this money work. So Rodgers is deciding. Yeah, go ahead. But I thought Aaron Rodgers said it was about the people. <laughs> about the little guy in the building. <laughs> It wasn't about him. Oh, man. About That's what candidate. he said, right? The, That's what he said. And the long snapper. And the third string corner. The nickel. The nickel corner. That's what he said. But a lot of them guys going to be out of a job. 
<laughs> them guys going to be out of a job very fast because of this deal Aaron Rodgers signed, taking the absolute most. Think about that, Kendall. Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to make a comparison, Kendall. And I, I hate to do this. I hate to do this. I almost don't want to do it now that I've thought about it. But I'm going to do it because I can't say I'm going to make a comparison and not do it. Because I think this guy I'm going to mention is a very good guy. And I think he, he wanted to win. I think Aaron Rodgers wants to win. Let me be clear, too. But the more I think about it, Aaron Rodgers is the Carmelo Anthony of the NFL. <laughs> he keeps saying he wants to win. He wants to make sure that, you know, he his team's in the best position to win. And yet, every time when it comes down to a decision to help his team keep him around and not make it as painful as possible, he always chooses to make it as painful as possible. <laughs> and the only reason why I say that, because and Melo, I think, is a great guy, and he did a lot for New York, and I love Melo. I want to make that clear. But Melo with the Knicks, we remember, he, he instead of signing in free agency, maybe taking a little bit less like LeBron, Wash, Bosh, and Wade did his contemporaries, he demanded a trade to New York. He threatened to go to New Jersey. He, when he signed his extension, in terms of the sign and extend that they did with the, with the Denver Nuggets, he asked for the entire max. He didn't ask for a little bit less. He made the Knicks get rid of assets. Unlike the Heat, some of those other teams that signed massive big free agents where they didn't have to give up assets. They just were able to add their guys to their roster. Melo was like, no, you're going to have to give up assets to get me out of here because we got to help Denver out here. When it came to re-signing with the Knicks, he gave them back a, a, a measly $9 million of his $150 million <laughs> extension when he re-signed the second time. Like, Aaron Rodgers is very, he's, he's acting the exact same way. He says he wants to win. He says, I want you to be able, I want you guys to be able to help me out as much as I can. And yes, are there times where the Packers seem to do things where they seem to be hedging their bets on him? That is definitely what happened. But whenever it's his turn <laughs> to say, all right, I'm willing to do some stuff to help y'all out, like we've seen Tom Brady do. Aaron Rodgers has been had zero interest in ever doing that. And that's what we're, that is what we're seeing here. Has he earned that money? One thousand percent. I just don't know who the hell he's going to be playing with next year when they're fifty million over the cap and he just signed for two hundred. I don't know what how they're going to make that work. And then the guy, the most important player on the team besides him, is not going to be unhappy because he's on a franchise tag. He's seeing his guy get two hundred million. The same guy that he posted the. The last dance picture with Devontae Adams really is looking like Scottie Pippen. He's really treating him <laughs> like Scottie Pippen. He's making sure he got all the bread while he, Scottie Pippen's on the 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 bad deal. <laughs> he's on he's on the he's on the bad record deal. It's the it, it, and now I know why Aaron Rodgers had him post that <laughs> last dance <laughs> image. And now it all makes sense to me. So credit to Rodgers. He got his bread. I'm not mad at him for that. But for the Packers, I think you're going to have to say goodbye to a, a lot of good players. And it's a bad division. They could probably still win it. That team's going to look very different next season. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you're talking about this Green Bay situation, uh, look, it's a, it's a dark day for the rest of the North. Uh, they were, they were, there was a couple, couple months where it looked like, you know, the, the, the division would be under new management. You know who would be you thought you know, the Vikings fan, you're like maybe it'd be Minnesota. Uh Chicago was feeling very good. I look I said 
I said foolishly on our Super Bowl recap that I was like, I mean, look, the Bears could be the Bengals next year. I mean, the Lawrence is bad. I mean, <laughs> and you know, I, for, for what it's worth, I told you you were crazy when you said that. Yeah, you said podcast. I was nuts, but now I know. I'm- yes. Yeah, not that is that is confirmed now. There that that is not a there is no way that that's going to end up working out for the Chicago Bears because they they they're just there's no way Rodgers in the division that they're winning this uh win this division. So they remain in rebuild. Sad day for them. Yeah, I mean I I think the larger point um is I think that this deal the 50 million I feel like it's it's less about Rodgers and his two MVPs, although like you said he earned he earned the money, but I think this says a little bit more about Jordan Love than I think it even says about Aaron Rodgers. I think um, because I just think there is no way when the Packers drafted Jordan Love that they thought there'd be any chance, if he was good, <laughs> that they were going to give Aaron Rodgers this kind of contract. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, when you're building a team. You draft a quarterback in the first round. If you think he's solid and you think he's an NFL starter, then why wouldn't you just move on? And I know you're saying you're trying to win a Super Bowl and you've got Aaron Rodgers, but, man, I mean, I just don't know if that's practical. Given that, like you said, the team around him may not even get better. Like, he's won those back-to-back MVPs and you still haven't won. They've gotten pretty close. And this is, as we saw with the Rams, this thing is a game of inches, man. Like, the Rams very easily could have ended up being the Packers if a couple things went a couple, went, a certain, went certain ways. Um, so this, this, this is a game of inches, and I think Green Bay has had two years where they felt like a couple things go their way and they could they could be the Rams. But I just don't I, – again, I just don't fathom you making this move if you think Jordan Love is a, is a real franchise quarterback. So I think that they must know and, – and look, we saw what Jordan Love is. And then also we have to understand that also by giving Rodgers this deal, like you're not getting that much back for Jordan Love. Like his value. No, is- I mean, yeah, I mean, you're 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 telling the, the rest of the league that we don't really believe in this guy that much. Uh, so yeah, we saw so, him play, and he wasn't. Yeah. He didn't light the world on fire. Was no, terrible. Yeah, he didn't I mean, light the world. yeah, it wasn't a terrible game, but he, he looked like a young player. Wasn't enough still, to raise his value. Yeah, he looked like a young player still trying to figure it out. So it, once he goes on to the to the trade market. You're not gonna get a first round pick back for him, so yeah, you're getting maybe a third if you have a really desperate team that really likes him. But yeah, that's like that's being that's being generous. You might be a fourth round guy, and again, you wasted a first round pick on this guy who hasn't helped you win any games. Nope. So I, I you know, look, I I don't even I'm not even litigating the Jordan Love pick and saying oh right. that was a mistake. I mean, of course it was. I mean, in hindsight. Um, but it's not even about that as much as it is that this contract is because they don't think that Jordan Love is that good. Yeah, I mean, and they, they would know they, better than anybody. Yeah, this franchise came to this crossroads before, and they were like, they didn't give Brett Favre fifty million dollars a year. Nope. <laughs> they were like, nah, was, that guy. They're one of the best. Actually. Yeah, they're like, nah, that guy got kick rocks. The guy we have here is really good, and we want him to be the future. So, yep. Bye. Like that, they they came to the almost the exact same crossroads. The age really isn't much different, and they were like, "No, we need to." This old guy, he still got it, and this young guy, we don't know about him yet. So, we have no choice but to bring him back. Our salary cap situation is hell. We got to make a lot of tough decisions. 
hopefully some of these guys can take pay cuts. They definitely have some pay cut, you know, uh, they have some pay cut candidates for sure that will help them. But you got to get under the cap before that uh, season starts, before training camp starts. And $50 million is not the kind of spot I want to be in in terms of trying to cut money at when I just gave a guy $50 million. Like that's That's a very... That's a very tricky spot. Even Devontae Adams, his franchise tag number is still large, even if it's only one year. So it's uh, it's going to be very interesting in Green Bay. I, I get the feeling that I really feel like this. they really missed their best shot at going to the Super Bowl this year. Like I don't know if Aaron Rodgers go back, goes back. And maybe I'm being a little like, you know, uh, you know, gee whiz EJ here in terms of just like living in the moment. But everything was set up for them this year with the roster they had, the success they had, and like I said, they're just they're just going they're just going to be a different team. Now, Green Bay, fortunately, is one of those places where you can get really good players for cheap. Guys will go to Green Bay um, to play with Aaron Rodgers to play in that organization. It's very weird. It's like you know, it's kind of a weird small marketplace where people will take less to go there. Uh, you don't see that much in sports, but Green Bay is one of those spots. So. I think they'll be maybe one of the better suited teams to like maneuver their way to having a still pretty decent team, even while having to cut this much salary. But their team is not going to be as talented next year. There's just there's no way that that could be the case. And you're still betting on Aaron Rodgers at this stage of his career and his life that he's going to stay healthy. Forget about even just the talent. You know, his talent has been great. And it was, he's shown us nothing to think that he's going to fall off a cliff, not to use someone else's term. But you know, he is getting older, so, you know, if he takes a bad hit, you don't know how he's going to recover as much as he would have maybe in the past. So, again, the, almost the theme of this podcast so far has been risk and risk aversion. And I think that leads us right into uh, maybe the worst risk aversion decision made by maybe an NFL, maybe a pro athlete ever. You can make the case with Calvin Ridley. Because Calvin Ridley, Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, suspended for the entire 2022 season because he bet on NFL games while he was away from the team. Now, again, it's important to note that Ridley did not play much this year. He had been suffering from a mental health issue that he wanted to address and therefore decided to step away from the team, and he never returned to the team. This was early in the season when he decided to step away. And it was discovered through the league's relationship with one of these um, you know, sports books that Calvin Ridley had at some point uh, did a parlay where he – bet on multiple NFL games, including the Atlanta Falcons. And the NFL, like most professional leagues, very, very strict when it comes to players betting on games. You could certainly understand that, given the sanctity of the sport in regards to ensuring that the game is played with the most integrity possible and you don't have players potentially throwing games uh, because of any kind of gambling situation. You can understand why they take it serious. So they have decided that Calvin Ridley, that is a no-no, and you have to sit. I think he should be suspended for the season. I don't have really a much of a problem with the suspension. I do feel like as people who talk about this sport and talk about sports in general, it is time to have that conversation and really, um, really kind of put the feet to the fire for the NFL and all of these pro leagues who have decided to get in bed with these gambling sports books. You cannot watch an NFL game now. You can't watch any game now without being just hammered with ads trying to convince you to get into sports gambling. 
and it's legal in a lot of states now. So it's a lot more prevalent. And I don't say I don't know more prevalent is the word, but it's because people were doing it anyway. But it's you know it's more above board, I guess. It's definitely more mainstream. Maybe that's a better term. And I think we need to really have a conversation about this because Calvin Ridley was not with the team during while all this happened. So his ability to impact the game really wasn't there. I guess the argument could be, could he be told his teammates, yo, I got money on you, so don't play well or play well. I, I guess that's possible, but he bet on them to win. So, yeah, for, for, and for his own team, for his own team, it, it's very much like he bet on the team to win, so it's really much, not much there for me. I think if there were other games, you could say, okay, could he call the guy and say, yo, man, I got you guys losing this week. Like, you know, <laughs> right, right. Like, help me out and maybe I'll give you a cut. Like, again, there are, I, there are reasons why I understand why he needs to sit. I, I don't. I don't dispute that. But if we really are concerned about teams or players tanking games or fixing games and that being the reason why Calvin Ridley had to go, why is Steven Ross owning an NFL team still? Because what Steven Ross has been alleged to do is, to me, way worse than what Calvin Ridley is alleged to have done. And he seems to have admitted it. He says that he bet $1,500 in this, uh, in this, in this parlay or this situation that he was in because Steven Ross, if you guys remember, as I said on this podcast, he told Brian Flores, don't work hard. Don't watch extra film. Don't put in the work, work less, go on vacation Said so we could lose more games this season, and I'll pay you more money to lose more games. And this Calvin Ridley investigation, they seem to do in two seconds. Now they announced it late, but the, from the word of it, it sounds like they it was one, two, three. All right, you bet on games. All right, get out of here. And they just decided to announce it today or yesterday. Stephen Ross, we, them, them Brian Flores allegations. Oh, that was a month ago, and we have. We don't know where that even stands. But there you had a coach saying, yo, I'll pay you to lose games. What about tanking? As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, Stephen Ross is not the only guy that has endorsed tanking for his team. He may be the only guy that said, I'll pay you to lose. But we've seen teams clearly move themselves in a way in which they are clearly tanking where they're not trying to win. And that is messing with the integrity of the game. And we see no repercussions for it. It seems to me that for things that they can kind of make money off of, they want to kind of lay the hammer down a lot harder, ensuring that none of their guys are making money off the situation. But something like tanking or whatever, that's kind of something more kind of out of their lane because they feel like people are going to watch anyway. They seem to just be fine with so it's how it looks to me but to me we can't have this we cannot have a league that promotes gambling on such a extreme level it's just it's over the top to me with how much they and i'm not someone i'm not some i'm not a boy scout who's like oh keep the gambling off my i, I don't care about it that much but it's over the top with how much they promote sports gambling and then you tell me a guy who sports gambled while his he was not playing with the team and he's away from the team. He can't play for a whole year. 
there's an obvious weird juxtaposition, there's obvious weird hypocrisy there that is totally unfair. I think some of the arguments supporting the NFL have been nonsense. I don't want to name names, but I saw someone say that, well, the NFL takes money from beer uh, commercials and beer companies. It doesn't mean that they want the player to you know be drunk on during the games. That's a ridiculous analogy to me. The NFL allows players to drink alcohol in their fairs, in their free time when they're not with the team. <laughs> they don't, like Calvin Ridley was not with the team, and when he was betting on games, it's an entire it's, like to compare that is absurd. And the notion that well, players on the court or the field have a much better impact than ownership and management in terms of who wins games and who loses games. I'm sorry, for someone to say that, you're not paying attention to any of the teams I root for. Because newsflash, Kendall, I root for the New York Knicks, I root for the New York Mets, and I root for the New York Jets. Those are my professional sports teams. Now, it doesn't appear either any of those teams have tried to lose on purpose. But that kind of goes to my point. Those teams have quote-unquote tried to win. And that management has put me through Complete misery for my entire life. And they've had all different kinds of players. They've spent a lot of money. They spent no money. It doesn't matter what happened. The management, for the most part, except for recently with the Mets changing ownership, has been the same. And the results have been the same. So to tell me that management and ownership somehow really doesn't have much of an impact, it's really only the players who can really decide the games, is, is just ludicrous to me. We know management can have a negative impact because we see poorly managed teams all the time. The Lions have had Calvin Johnson. They had a guy who just won a Super Bowl. But guess what? They've had the same sorry management for 50 years. And that's why they haven't won anything. And then you got teams, like I've said, that have been purposely clearly positioning themselves to lose games. You're telling me that putting together a roster that clearly isn't competent enough to Go out there and compete. Isn't you manipulating the integrity of the sport? It's the exact same thing. So I'm fine with really taking a seat, Kendall, but I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say, oh, the NFL has no hand in this when you're putting up a million NFL gambling commercials every single time I watch an NFL football game and say, oh, but no, that's different because it's you know, the players can't do it and we can't. we're fine with taking their money, but we can't have the players involved in any way. Ridley made an incredibly stupid decision. Everybody who plays professional sports knows you can't gamble on games. For a guy that's making eleven million to throw it all away for a fifteen hundred dollar bet, it's just stupid. I'm not gonna mince words with that either. But this higher than thou kind of stance the NFL is taking also is stupid to me. And it's time we need to really address it and call it what it is. A complete and utter hypocritic or not that's the word, what's the word? Is it, it hypocritical? I guess that's the word. I don't know. <laughs> hypocritical. There you go. That's why I got my guy here. Hypocritical mess. This is what this is to me. It's a hypocritical mess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, the Ridley thing is interesting. Um, it's interesting because we're talking about something that was, um, it was illegal, obviously, for a long time. Um, that's been widespread amongst uh, in a lot of different states now. 
um, in, in, in sports gambling. Um, when you're talking about the leagues, uh, obviously there's a lot of reasons that make a lot of sense why athletes shouldn't partake in these things. Um, you know, I think they're, I think we should probably look at it with a little bit more nuance than maybe we do. Um, a little bit more detail in terms of that there are differences in situations. Um, you know, what Calvin Ridley did, uh, you know, once the Falcons are involved, I, I think that that 100% put, puts, a, puts an issue on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have serious questions about, like, it's one of those things where I'm like, man, if this is how they caught him, and the only reason they caught him was he did it in his, he did it on his own account with his own name. Like, how many guys do it? You know, like that's right. You, yeah. I mean, so many people have just been like, why didn't you just do it through your, your brother or your cousin or your your boy? Why, why you know? And, and I get why he did it, and, and you know, I'm not even no one's like condoning that, but it's just it's a scary thought that you could have guys who are doing it, you know, through the the I guess in theory the old fashioned bookie. You know, who'd who'd put it in for you, and that's that that on that on the surface is why I I look at this and I'm like, look, we have to nip the, we have to nip it in the bud, but I also understand that Calvin really did was relatively harmless. Um, I think that to me, I think the suspension, the only reason to me I think it's deserved is because it's one of those it's one of those deals where it's an idiot test, like <laughs> right. You know, you know, it's like pass. It's like failing a drug test at the combine when you know you're going to get drug tested. Like, you know, you're told uh, repeatedly throughout your NFL career annually that you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to partake in yeah, sports. And most, faci- and most facilities is literally like hanging up in the locker room. Like it's, it's so exactly. Weird. And you're you decide to do it. Through whatever reason, boredom, just you, you know, you have nothing to do. You're not playing. All right, let me, let me just get, let me just have something to watch, you know. And, and he decides, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put down a, you know, a measly fifteen hundred for him. Uh, to me, I think the one, I think the one year is a little excessive. Um, you know, I, I think when we're talking about suspensions, a lot of times, I think the they had they felt like they had to hammer him, and I get why the NFL felt like they had to hammer him. But there are a lot of situations where guys did worse things and oh, yeah. didn't. Yeah, yeah, guys that get cr- pure criminals. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, pure criminal acts. I mean, Calvin really did something that is theoretically very legal. Yeah. Um, it's not, and again, I'm not saying that the NFL shouldn't should criminalize it from there. You know, they have all the right to say that that players aren't allowed to do it, but. I just again, I just look at what he did, the context. But it's it just, but it seeks to. I think context it, matters, yeah. and I look at the context and I say, the intent wasn't. There was nothing. There was no ill intent involved. If you do an investigation and you determine there's ill intent, or there's even a hint of ill intent, there's even a sniff of ill intent, then all right, give that guy a year, ban him. I don't care. But when we're talking about a guy who was away from the team, who put in a parlay bet, so it's not even like he he targeted one game and was like, 
yeah, I'm targeting this one game, mm-hmm. and I'm putting all my money down because I know a specific fact about this game. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and people talk about inside information. Like, isn't that, like, the point? Well, I'm not saying that, like, of course, you don't want a guy who knows, like, you know, we're trying to lose or, but, like, when when the when the when the when the Rams are playing the 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 Jaguars, I have inside information that the Rams are probably going to win. It's not a coin flip, so there's always going to be in theory inside. Everyone's going to now he may have even better information than the average person, but again, he's away from the team. I don't know. I just I get why they're why they're penalizing it. Mm-hmm. I think that the 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 suspension is severe. If you would have given him ten games, you know, I feel like the message is sent for him. Like for him in that specific situation, I think again there are nuances, and I think that the league should be allowed to judge these on a case by case basis. If you have a guy who then decides, if you have a guy throwing a game, then I think you're probably out of the league. Yeah, but I, I, don't, I guess yeah. I, I think to me though, Kendall, the difference though is. They view uh, a player fixing scandal as a potential death sentence to their sport in their right. league, which is, I would say is fair. I think that's a fair way to assess that risk. Is you think, like, look, you mentioned how there have been people who have done worse things, and I mentioned they, they're criminals. And I don't want to, you know, what I will say, I don't want to, sometimes we get kind of hyper, it's not hyperbolic because there are people who have been criminals that have been played in the NFL, but I don't want to, you know, say, you know, bombastic things and make it sound like all these NFL players are criminals. Like, 99% of them are not. Let me make that very clear. But we've seen people be accused of criminal act. We've seen people be convicted of criminal act and play in the NFL, come back and play. Their suspension is being rather mild in terms of the level of punishment. And that's because they don't view those acts as as potentially damaging. They yes. don't view a person who, again, uh, you know, killed dogs or killed a person, you know, driving drunk or something like that, or, you know, beat women. They're bad, and the punishment for them is uh, what we're learning is the NFL is not necessarily so much about the punishment matching the crime, it's the punishment matching whatever the outcry and the backlash is going to be for the league. That's really what it comes down to. Because even when it yeah. comes down to things, think about how they do drug testing now. And, 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 and marijuana and things like that for these sports leagues. Some leagues, the NBA, they don't even test you no more. Like, maybe 15 years ago, guys getting caught with pot, a lot bigger story. Now, people don't care. So the league doesn't care. But when we think about that, Again, that fixing games, potential scandal, that I think they look at as a potential death nail, and they cannot have that. So the punishment is going to be more severe, even if the quote-unquote act is not as harmful to society. But it's they view it as potentially more harmful to the league. Now, that's very sad, but that's just where we're at, and that's where they see everything. Everything is about green. Everything is about the bottom line. And that's what you're seeing with the suspension. And to that point, like, that's why I'm not really mad about it because I'm like, I don't think they're wrong. Like, if you're making that assessment, I, I agree with it. 
as sad as that is, it speaks to our American society. Yeah. But yeah, I think that players getting away with terrible crimes or, or not even getting away with it, actually doing terrible crimes and maybe facing punishment, but then coming back, it's just not as damaging to the league as if we learned the Super Bowl was fixed. Like that would <laughs> like that would just literally maybe destroy the league. So right. they something they can't have, so they gotta they gotta set an example. I, I feel bad for someone who 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 it's just, outspoken about their mental health issues that now they have to deal with this. But you know, it yeah. really made and, a, and that's, that's made a, a very a very a poor decision. Concerned. That's kind of why I can't really feel that bad for him in that sense. I, I you know hopefully like you said I I, I hope Calvin really doing okay because I do too. You know even less about the even less about the suspension. And more about the act, because I talk about how, you know, we've had, you know, it's a it's a small number of guys who have failed the drug test at the combine, but the list of guys is usually guys who then when they're in the NBA, when they're in the league, fail drug tests and have issues mm-hmm. off the field, and we talk about again the list of guys who have getting, gotten caught gambling. It's just Josh Shaw and and Calvin Ridley in the last like half century. So, and, and we we know the deal with Josh Shaw jumping off the balcony when he was at USC. But you know, hopefully, again, I just say hopefully Calvin Ridley's all right. Hopefully, because I don't know how this how this happens. Yeah, I mean, it's just a supreme lapse in judgment or a lack of education from the league, from the not even the league, but the players' association his agency because it's just, again, it's a foolish act. We can talk about it's a small amount of money, but that's even, that's what makes it even dumber. It's like, well then why did you do this? It's like somebody saying, yeah, I stole two bucks out of a cash register and now I'm going to jail. It's like, well, why did you try to steal it? It's only $2. Why'd you try to steal the $2? It's foolish. So I, yeah, I don't, Look again. I, I think in the court of public opinion, he doesn't look nearly as bad as you know other guys that have you get like you said done you know have committed violent crimes and have continued to play um, through them. Uh, you know, guys who have yet to even maybe face punishment. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's he doesn't look as bad as he doesn't look as bad as some of those guys from that perspective. But you know, again, you mentioned Stephen Ross and. That whole deal, he hasn't admitted to it. I mean, that guy was fi- that guy was allegedly fixing games. Let's call it like it is. That guy yeah, was no, allegedly well, he was well, trying, tr- to, trying he, to trying to yeah, he was allegedly trying, trying to, to fix games, and he's still an owner in the NFL. He was alleged by his former head coach, right? And he says he has corroborating evidence on a daily basis. He says Someone he has corroborating who- evidence, and there are other people who are willing to go on the record and say, "Yes, I know of this." Yes. And that guy is still in the NFL. We have no idea what the investigation is with that. None. Yeah. Their response was, none of this is true. Yeah. Yeah. They said it was without merit. That was their without initial merit. response to this. I, that's why the whole, that's why I, I'm a little upset about this because you say you're you're very taking, fixing games very seriously and you should, and you should, which is why I'm okay with the suspension. But then why is Stephen Ross still owning an NFL team? He should be away from the team until the investigation is finished. He shouldn't even be still working with operations. You could say, okay, like we should have an investigation, and that's fair. But you can't, have, you can't have that guy still making calls for the 
with the Miami Dolphins right now. He's got to go away for a while. Put him he, on the exempt list, again. do whatever, and then if he's fine, say, okay, you can come back and, you know, all is good, no penalties. But Give him the that guy Carver. is still making decisions. He's been doing it for years. This Look, happened years ago. Again, we talk about the NFL taking this stuff seriously. And then you mentioned not only the situation with Steve Ross, but I think about a guy named Warren Sharp, very popular, I wouldn't say super popular, but, a, you know, worked for The Ringer, worked for NBC Sports um, as a sort of gambling expert slash football analytics guru. He does consulting work for NFL teams while also being a very proud and about out and about gambler. That's his that's his that's his bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But he also does consulting work for NFL teams. And the New Yorker did a profile on him a couple of weeks ago where teams were like, wait, is this are we allowed to like <laughs> anonymous leak sources were like, is this allowed? Like why is he allowed to like gamble and stuff? And yet still do consulting work with NFL teams. It's very similar. I mean, they actually asked Mark Cuban because they had hired Harlabos Volgaris a couple years ago. Yeah. We talked about on the show a while back. Out of the gambling world to do their, you know, quantitative research. And Mark Cuban was like, Yeah, I mean, when we hired him, like we had to <laughs> he he had to divest in all of that. And yet, you've got a guy in Warren Sharp who's doing these dealings. In fact, you also have a guy in Stephen Ross who's investing in gambling companies. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a he's an investor in the Action Network. He helped launch it. Now they don't have a sports book, but we know the Action Network has relationships with sports books. Of course, I would I would assume. And they're the, uh, they're their 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 whole thing is telling people what they should and shouldn't do when it comes to sports games. Yes. So yes, having they, an NFL owner be invested in that when he's telling allegedly his people to lose games on purpose is very problematic yes it's very 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 troublesome and so look i'm not pointing anything any of these things out to say stephen ross shouldn't be allowed to get his money or warren sharp shouldn't be allowed to Mm -hmm. consult with nfl teams i think i I, because i don't think warren sharp is using his using you know his work with nfl teams to fix games Right. I doubt Stephen Ross. I mean, look, I don't know. Stephen Ross, the whole thing is weird. Flores says one thing. I don't think that the Flores thing had anything to do with the Action Network thing. But regardless, it's just like I don't think Calvin Ridley had any out, had any influence on any of these games. Right. When he was away from the team and he placed a parlay bet. Right. I feel you. all the context matters. If we want to have, if we want to sniff around and be like. Look, any again, any any even any whiff of any malfeasance, we come down hard on. Then how come it's only with players? Yeah, that's but with owners, they're allowed to invest in gambling companies. They're allowed to do deals. Um, I mean, I'm assuming owners aren't allowed are are, aren't allowed to gamble. But you know, I mean, there are people. But they're allowed to hire people within the gambling world to help them. Like it's is yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, you make you make great points, and I think that. The NFL is feeling some heat. I'm hoping that more people will ring this alarm, but it is alarming to see these, uh, see these these outlets that, of course, have deals with the NFL. You know, really kind of 
trying to be nice with my words today. Um, stick up for the NFL in this case. I'll be very nice with my words to, to be like, oh, no, this is all nothing to see here. Bad Calvin Ridley and let's just move on with our lives. No, I'm not going to move on with my life having to endure millions of freaking sports gambling ads and have a league throw away his players and lock away the key for a whole year because he sports gambled. It's just, it, anybody who with any moral compass can look at that and say something is not right there. And it's important to us. To, oh, and to also, I just want to say real quick, I think the takes that Calvin Ridley's career is over are nonsense. Plus, he's blackballed, which, I mean, I guess in theory is possible. But I mean, I think he might be blackballed. That, if that he's could blackballed, happen. I think 32 teams are, are, are being stupid. Oh, yeah, because the guy can play. Yeah. The guy can play. And, and yeah. if that's what we're talking about. Then I think that this is a this, then that would be a ridiculous they, I, like to me if I mean look if I was a GM I'd be like this, this doesn't make any sense like Calvin Ridley we can get him on the cheap if the thirty one teams don't want him we'll, yeah. we'll take him this guy I mean I saw someone called, today called thirteen hundred yards a couple years ago like I saw an Eagles reporter was like hot take but the Eagles should still give up like a fourth or a fifth for Calvin Ridley like tomorrow and I'd be like and I'm like yeah absolutely I mean it's that yo depending on what the price is like the Jets should absolutely Say, yo, like, what's good? You're on our team. You're, you're like, stay away from the team for a year. Yeah, That's all right. Just get healthy, stay in shape, and, like, next season, like, just be there. He'll be in the prime of his career. He'll be 28 years old. Yep. You know? Yeah. I, I, I agree with, I agree I with everything you're saying. I'm just saying I know how down. the Shield works, and the Shield tends to, you know, pick its examples to kind of to to, to throw away. I've seen We certainly saw them do it during the Kaepernick stuff. We've seen it in the past. I feel like this could happen to him. I hope it doesn't. If you put, if I had to bet on it, <laughs> poor choice of words, maybe I would say that I think he will play again. But it would not surprise me if he was blackballed. I'm hoping it doesn't happen, but we know how the NFL works. Real quickly, Kendall, Mike Jesse coached his last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium for the Duke Blue Devils. Of course, guy had a 40-plus year career with the Duke Blue Devils, coaching them. A school that really wasn't known for basketball was not a sports school at all. It really transformed them into a a one a, a national power, but two, I think, kind of a cultural icon as it come when it comes to sports as a whole. When we think about Cameron, we think about the Cameron Crazies. We think about slapping the floor. We think about the Duke basketball brand. All of that starts with Mike Chesky. There is nothing prior to him, so. Because of that, it was not surprising that you saw this outpouring of emotion and this this really, really kind of, you know, uh, uh, kind of surreal scene at Cameron this past uh, Saturday when North Carolina traveled to Duke. You got all these former players there all wearing the Coach K shirts. And it was uh, set to be a very big celebration. But, of course, it was um, it was kind of sullied by North Carolina led by Hubert Davis, their head coach, putting on a pretty damn good performance and taking care of the Blue Duke Blue Devils in a way that I think many people did not expect given Duke had just pummeled them when they went to the Dean Dome earlier this year. And what was so fascinating to me, and I think that you and I, you know, we, we've hit Coach K a bunch on this pod. Maybe too much in hindsight. I don't know. But nonetheless, I think we, we both understand Coach K's legacy. We both understand him as the greatest modern-day college basketball coach, maybe the greatest ever. You know, it's him and Wooden. I don't think there really is a conversation for anyone else. We understand what he means to Duke. We understand what he means to college basketball. I had no problem at all with their ceremony 
I had no problem at all with even all the co- some people were upset about all the coverage that he was getting on ESPN. I had no problem with it. I mean, he did earn it. All. This guy earned it all. He's an absolute icon and legend. He's, he, I had no problem with anything involving celebrating Coach K that weekend. But what was surprising, I think I do want to have a quick conversation on this, was when they lost, and they lost pretty convincingly, man, people were just dancing on Duke's grave in a way that was very surprising to me. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because we know that Duke elicits very strong reactions from people, a lot of negative reactions from people. But I just never would have expected to see that many people happy to see Coach K lose in and his team lose in pseudo-embarrassing fashion in his last game at Cameron. Now, Coach K, as I've said before, and I'm not going to harp on them, but we, we've, we've criticized him for what I felt has been... Again, I'm trying to be very nice with my words. I keep saying that same term. Um, uh, very controversial tendencies over the past few years. Let me put it that way. And we've we've hammered him for them because a lot of us, we a lot of, you and I both have not really agreed with how he's moved in a lot of the things he's done. But this is not like Bill Belichick coaching his last game with the Patriots, where there are a lot of reasons why I can understand people would want to see him lose, see his demise. Like all of that would make a lot of sense to me. The guy cheated. Uh, he's a, he's kind of overall kind of a jerk, it's at least in, in public, you know, in private, we don't seem to think he's a jerk, but he, he acts like a jerk to the media. He, you know, he's, again, he's cheated and things like that. So Bill Belichick getting, you know, people celebrating him losing his last game and his career ending, I can totally get. There are other figures in sports I could totally understand if their career ended, people booing and being happy to see them lose to end their career, I get. But Coach K, I think, still has been mostly a positive person. I was just surprised to see that many people decide to say, I'm happy to see this guy lose. Did, I think it was funny that they lost. I thought it was funny. Like, I did, I, I did, I think it was funny. I did enjoy it just from the story aspect of it. Because, you know, the Duke fans are crying. You know, I'm like, man, they're really taking this hard. And it, it was funny to see it. Someone who's oh, not man, a Duke fan. You, you want to talk about a, just a ridiculous sight. Like, you you you, all, you thought it was ridiculous for them crying. I I didn't find it ridiculous. I look. I had no Duke problem fans. for the it, seeing the Cameron crazies crying. I just think I don't know. I'm somebody that 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 you know. Did the Cameron crazies gotten soft? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying a lot of those Cameron crazies like weren't born when he started coaching, and like uh, probably like, interesting. Like they weren't allowed to get last a, year. That's an interesting take. How many of them like? I look now. You have some of those kids who absolutely grew up Duke basketball fans, right? Yeah, whatnot. But there are some of those kids that are only just there just to support the school, yeah. and which is like probably eighty percent of them, right? So yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'm like, you're 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 crying me <laughs> because you lost it. Look, the North Carolina game is a big game. I didn't go <laughs> yeah. to Duke. Yeah, but it's just to me that that idea of it. Is I'll crazy. tell you what, Kendall. I, I've heard a lot of people complain about the kids crying, and I have not heard one compelling take to make me agree with them. I've been like, I don't know, like whatever, like it's, it was it was meant a lot to them. It's Carolina, Coach K had a, it means a lot to Durham. Like kids cry when they lose games, like we see it all the time. I didn't see what the big deal was. I think you made the most compelling case. Like that game's significance is attached to Coach K's longevity, which none of those yeah. kids have any kind of any idea about. <laughs> They're all no. like nineteen. <laughs> so for them to be crying, I I kind of feel you. I kind of feel you a little bit. It's almost like. <laughs> 
it, it's almost like if like if the like, Knicks fans that went to like that last game five were like crying after the Knicks lost in the first round to the Hawks. Right. It'd, like be a, like the if the young fans were crying. It'd be a little weird. It'd be like, I mean, the only reason why this is all important is because we've been bad for all these years. Like, why you haven't suffered through any of that? You're eight. Why are you crying? <laughs> and you know, maybe you say, well, they're eight. But but besides that, you'd be like, you haven't suffered through my thirty years of pain. So like I, I I gotta admit I think that that's the most compelling argument I've seen as to why the kids crying was was annoying and ridiculous. I'm still I, gonna say I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because when you're in that culture, I do feel like Duke has a very interesting culture that as soon as you step on campus, there's a I mean they literally have a place called Shashevskyville. Like yeah, I just, you're you're expected to assimilate with the basketball right program. whether you know about basketball or you're a law student like it don't matter like you you know what time it is when it comes to the significance of coach k so i'll only push back there and say i could see why even people who may not really know his history just know it's very important and that winning was important that day so maybe emotions were high some of the kids maybe as you like to say inebriated <laughs> um <laughs> but so that may, of course brings out more emotions too but you know, and of course, for that game, if you you gotta live out in Shashevskyville for like three weeks to get tickets to that game. College game day. Some kids might were super tired. They've been sleeping on the grass for three weeks, so it was a lot going on. But I think that I think that that I will say again. I think that's a, a a fair, compelling argument as to why that was ridiculous. But why do you feel quickly? Why do you feel people were willing to dance on his grave so spectacularly? So I don't I have, think I don't even really have like, a problem with it. I just I was surprised that it happened. I, I think that the First of all, again, I think I think there's a distinction between it being similar to the fans crying. Like, if the fans were crying at a tournament game, I'd be like, I get it. Like, first of all, you try you want to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Second of all, like again, the fans that would be at a tournament game would probably be more likely to be just Duke fans as opposed to just students. You could have students there, but you have to be a really you have to be a much bigger Duke fan to decide I'm going to travel to you know Chicago or just to uh, Louisville to go watch a Duke you know, basketball game. But I also think that there is a distinction in terms of the reaction in that you talk about Belichick, you talk about coaches in their last games, but this wasn't necessarily Coach K's last game. I don't think the reaction will be as dunked on when Duke loses in the tournament. (laughs) I'm like, you threw that in there. I'm like, we we know Kendall's not picking to win national championship. I guess you're going to have to tune into Uh, talk next week. Maybe I'm just throwing you off the scent. Who knows? Oh, okay, you want you want to make sure you win the bracket this year. So okay. Yeah, you know, you never know what what gamesmanship is being utilized in, uh, when it comes to March. But um, but yeah, when it comes to this Duke team, I don't think the reaction would be would be that similar if if and when this Duke team loses in March. I think there would be a lot more respect when you're like, man, this is really the last time we're going to see Coach K. You know, uh, you know, coming off the basketball court. Um, it was a little kind of re- like. I agree that I think he deserved everything that him and his last game in Cameron was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But it, I could see why somebody was like, this is kind of ridiculous that we were like, you know, giving all this coverage for a guy and he's going to play another game next week. He's going to coach another game next so week. Here's what, here, here, so here's why, here, I know you definitely agree, but here's my, you know, you, you agree with a lot what I'm saying, but I get what you're saying. But here's why, what, here's why I would counter with. For me, right. and me being a sports fan, Almost since birth, but you know, probably me really paying attention since I was five, six years old. I think there's something about Coach K with the Cameron crazies. They're not behind him because they're always across the way. But him, you know, being on that sideline, waving at the Cameron crazies to get crazy, 
getting his team to get in the defensive stance. Something about Coach K being on that sideline in that stadium or arena is just, I don't even know. It's like, it's part of the fabric of college basketball to me. Like, talk, forget about all the time Duke cut down the nets. And they've cut down quite um, quite many since he's been their head coach. I think there's nothing more iconic image of Coach K than him just being on the sidelines at Cameron they're going crazy for a big ACC game. And they've won national championships. They've won incredible games. You know, you know, the Christian Leitner shot comes to mind very quickly in the tournament. But still, when I think of, what do I think of when I get Coach K? I think of Coach K with the Cameron Crazies losing it, you know, in the crowd. And they're playing, and his team is slapping the floor, and he's on that sideline calling the, calling the shots, making the orders, like, or just being just in the moment. Like, that to me is iconic. And the fact that that is never going to happen again is very important to me. Like I, I, I get why that is something. I don't think that that's nothing. right. But what, to me, like, what does any like, of that have to do with him winning? Why did he? Why did he need to win that? Because game? no, why? Because I don't know what his home record is, but 90 percent of the time they were pounding some team. That is true. And is true. we associate that image with excellence and with dominance. So the fact and, that uh, his, you know his last, I'm, his last, I, his last stand was. Like kind of an embarrassing showing by his team. Yeah, I I, I got a hot take. I, I think that well, you're right because growing up, I mean, I I I was I was led to believe the the Cameron Crazies. Like going to Cameron was the toughest place. Yeah, to tough play. place to play if you're in college basketball. I, I don't think that's the case anymore. I think it's a little overrated. Like wow, it's that's a scolding hot take. Yeah, it, like I don't. It's not an easy place to play. I'm not saying that you know it, going to the FedEx Forum is is tougher <laughs> uh, to play Memphis, but but I think that I like I think you know as a Gonzaga fan, so we, I think we, we made it full circle. You you we made it full circle. You now feel like so you are saying the Cameron Crazy have gotten soft. I asked that question in the beginning. You were like no. <laughs> and now you're saying hey, it ain't that hard to play there. So now you're saying okay, then it is. They have gotten soft because they were a large reason why they're very. I don't want to make it sound like all oh, the players don't have any impact. Players obviously had a major impact on why it was tough to play at Cameron. That yes. crowd when I was growing up and you were growing up, was unreal. Yeah, it was, it was scary. To play in that place, I yeah. you saw great players. You no, know, sometimes play great games against Duke in their home arenas. They yeah. go to Cameron. I remember Chris Paul going to Cameron his freshman year. I mean, it, it, I I felt bad for Chris Paul. I loved Chris Paul in in college. And I was like, man, this little kid, like, yeah, he he ain't rave all this. Like these people are crazy. They're waving their hands in his face like he's trying to inbound the ball. He legitimately looked intimidated, and that's what a lot I, of people. You want to know so, why I think so, the Cameron Crazy got soft? Why? I th- and this is more conspiracy theory nonsense, okay. but I want to. I think that Duke's transition to this one and done style of play has kind of. I think they don't like have to be as crazy. You know what I mean? Like they're supposed to walk in and smash teams by thirty. Like just there's there's like a level of like off expe- the there's like a little expectation that like oh we're just way more talented than this team. Yeah, we're way more talented. We don't so have to mess like they're more game. they're more watching the game than actually being a part of the game. Yeah, like I feel you on that. That's an interesting. Way it's to a different. It. It, the, the program is different now. Like they, they're no different in terms of their dominance. They, they've, they've always been a great program, but I don't know. I, for whatever reason, it just feels like teams aren't scared to play. And maybe it's not even. The yeah, fans teams have had way more success. I, we've seen a lot of teams win in Cameron recently. Yeah, years, and maybe it's not even the fans. Teams. Maybe it's, maybe it's just when you have a younger team, like they're more likely to get upset. 
you know? And so yeah. regardless of whatever the expectation is going into a game at home, you know, it's a lot easier to go in on the road against a young team than it is against a, a veteran team. But, man, I, I, that part of it, and I think it was a little – it obviously was shocking given the North Carolina – the down can, can, can I give a can I give a conspiracy? I don't know as much conspiracy, but a little bit of a reason why maybe the Cameron Crazies have lost their bite. Why? I would say Coach K is partly to blame. Coach K yelling at them. Yeah. <laughs> Coach K, like I just said before, those kids were insane when I was growing up. Yeah. Again, yeah. chanting crazy stuff, waving hands in people's faces while they inbound. I don't know why that was allowed. Like yeah. Like doing, they were they were again legitimately terrifying to blow up against, and it's like weird. Why would you be scared of a bunch of like Duke nerds? But <laughs> they're all, they just were, man. They were very intimidating. They were very intimidating, and and I think as we've looked at how fans act at games, maybe to Coach K's credit, I think he is taking a different stance. I think there's been What's some the commentary about the hypocrisy of maybe some of his actions in terms of how he's, you know, talked about other um, other arenas when Duke plays other teams. He talks about other fans. He talks about other players stunting on them. And yeah, we've talked about the court. we've talked about the hypocrisy of that. That's been really one of my biggest issues with him. And to his to his credit, maybe he's looked at that's okay. Well, I can't be talking about how these fans are disgusting in Maryland or you know or these players are doing this when my guys are going crazy at my own home arena. And there have been multiple times where I think it kind of like, he kind of flew off the handle unnecessarily at the Cameron crazies. And perhaps that has been part of the reason why maybe we haven't seen them as intense and as intimidating as they've been in the past. I didn't expect this conversation to go here, but it's a very fascinating examination because I agree. I feel like I mean, we didn't like, like uh, like Stephen F. Austin win there or somebody like like we've seen yeah, some Stephen like Stephen F. Austin beat them on the yeah that's like unheard of like that like <laughs> and the Stephen F. Austin is a very good before. is a very good program they've won in the tournament I'm not trying but that's just that just would have been impossible in 1999 impossible in 2003 this, there's no way a team like that is going into Cameron and beating them now of course and that was a good new team that wasn't the team that 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 lost that wouldn't have made that didn't make the tournament last year yeah and now of course there's one and done, play, young players going against older players. There's a lot of different nuances that go into why that's happening. I don't want to make it all just on the home court advantage. But I think Kendall's right. I agree that that Cameron has lost its luster in terms of the intimidation factor a little bit. Do I think it's not still the best? I mean, you know, I love the Kendall. I know you mentioned the yeah, Kendall. The Kendall in place. I feel like, and this is going to sound crazy coming from me, but... I think the fact that the majority of Gonzaga's games at the Kennel do come against conference opponents who aren't nearly as good as them, I it's think that, that's come in. Like Duke, yes, like I said, they've lost to like Stephen F. Austin. They lost. But we saw weird, they lost some weirdo teams, but like you know, they're also losing to like Carolina and Miami. Like these are obviously better programs than the, most of the programs in the West Coast Conference. So when we measure the kind of fear factor, the level of success at home. That has to weigh in because a lot, a lot of Gonzaga's toughest games uh, are either on the road in non-conference or in neutral sites in non-conference. A lot of teams don't even want to come to the kennel. So still, which is crazy. We saw what now, Texas you get, You're getting more people now. Yeah, now Texas came and it was fright night. They looked like they wanted no part of the kennel. And now the recent teams that and have I come to the kennel. I think the kennel has 
more of that Cameron. Oh yes, than even yeah. You're you're right. Kid, even Cameron does. Yeah, Mark Few. Let those kids do whatever the hell they want in those stands. No, yeah. <laughs> the kettle, kettle crowd is crazy. Yes, they 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 do kind of resemble more of the old school Cameron crazies than perhaps maybe even the more recent Cameron crazies. I I do agree with that. That the crazy trance, the the this the 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 loud the, 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 the loud yeah the student dress code like. It it is a bizarre place to try to go and win a basketball game. I I I agree with that, and I think that if you're arguing anything else besides, you know, and then again, besides Cameron, I would say that the Kennel will be the second spot for me. We have more veteran teams, so it's like good luck beating that team. Yeah, they got a 23 year old point guard, you know, and (laughs) you know, combined with the number number two high school player, it's like oh okay, well, good luck with trying to win this game, you know. So the last thing I want to say though, yeah, I think that. I also I I've hated the commentary about that Duke North Carolina game where it's been about oh well look the, the you know the game was the game was too big for the players and you know Duke you know Coach K you know they put a lot of pressure on his guys and just the moment was too big. First of all, I think it takes away from North Carolina yes. who came out there and they just played a really good game. Let's, let's call it what it is. They yeah. played better than played probably the best game they played all season. But beyond that, I think. To me, I like. I don't think that this is about the players. Like they came out, they did came out a little bit slow, and then they got up to a really big lead. And yeah, they had a big lead. Yeah. How do you like? I don't get how like the. I don't think in the in with ten minutes to go in the second half, Paolo yeah, Beccaro like, was thinking about, oh man, this is Coach K last game. Oh, oh I don't blow this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Reese Davis is courtside, and and Jay Bills is doing the game. What? Like, I you know I think <laughs> they they. I think Duke got out. Coach K got out coached by Hubert Davis in that game, and their players got tight. I don't think it was really about the moment as much as it is you have a young team, and that happens. Yeah, no, it, I agree. it happened against yeah. Virginia. They yeah. lost against Virginia at home in a game they had no business losing, but it wasn't because coach. It was Coach K's last game against Virginia at home. So yeah, I, I don't. This Duke team, look, again, they had no business losing that game, but they didn't lose that game because it was Coach K's last game. And Coach Kendall is really, really selling hard that he's not going to pick Duke to win the tournament and then watch Duke is going to be his national champion when the brackets come I up. think Duke had a shot. <laughs> they have a serious shot at winning. I, they, oh, it's wide open. Yeah, it's wide open. Yeah, beyond, beyond what I'm going to do in the tournament, they are a team that's very much in consideration for me because I, we, we have to see how the brackets shake out, but. Man, you know, even though they didn't win that game, I think, you know, the way AJ Griffin can shoot it, Paolo Bancaro, you have a guy who is a very few teams, and I think this is an important NCAA tournament trait, but very few teams have a, you know, sort of a security blanket, I think is the right word. You have a security blanket in Paolo Bancaro where if things aren't going right, you feel like you're at least going to get offense from this guy. And. The, the thing that scares me about Duke is just what is what is Jeremy Roach? He's played really well in ACC play. Trevor Keel's kind of stepped back a little bit. Yeah. If Jeremy Roach plays great, then yes, the team can win a national championship. But guard play is so important. And, you know, there are going to be teams that have better guards. I just I don't think that this is a spectacular year for guard play. So I think that that will help. Yeah, I think, like, it's, gonna I don't help, I think it's gonna help Duke. I think that's gonna help Gonzaga. I think that's gonna help Baylor potentially. Um, right. 
years where um, those teams, uh, Auburn's guards are a whole other story. That's something to say for our tournament preview. Um, right. But uh, they're teams that you would typically look to and say they have great guard play. You'd look at this year and say, oh, the guard play is okay or good. They might not be hurt as much as they would have been in the past. Right. Because of that. I don't think you're looking at a lot of these teams saying, oh, well, this team got two or three great. Like, you're not really seeing that. You're seeing some good teams with one great guard, and then that's kind of Like, it. I don't think there's a team with a backcourt that's like UConn with Napier and Boatwright, where you're like, man, they got two of the top ten point guards in the country. You know, both on the same team. Like, And that team, that team wasn't even that great, but you knew they had two really, really good point guards. Yeah. Or, yeah. Two, you know, I don't know if there's a backcourt like that right now in college basketball. That scares me like that. Yeah, I mean, it may be Kentucky. You know, it's... Kentucky's got deep... They've got deep guard play. I don't think any of them are elite. Kellen Grady might be the best, and even he's playing more on the on the three. Yeah. Cheer. Uh, the combination of Wheeler... I mean, uh, Kel- Wheeler, great, Kellen Grady, and Washington is pretty good. You know? It's good. But, yeah, not a lot of... Other but none of those guys strike fear, man. No, like, I... I think Napier struck fear as the Kevin Walker in... In uh, in opponents. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are players, there are guards that do strike. Yeah, I mean, Jay Ivey will strike. Jay Ivey. Yeah. You know, Johnny Davis. You know, like there are guys that that do scare you, but um, but usually they're not paired with another guy that's like also electric. So that that'll that'll be interesting. As we saw last year with Baylor, that's what won the national championship, having two guys. Yeah, that were really- before we get, before we get out of here. Last thing on K in that game, um, shame on uh, uh, on Chris Carroll for not shaking Hubert Davis' hands hand after the game. That was just bozo behavior by the assistant coach of Duke to do that weeks after we just saw a melee ensue in Wisconsin over handshake etiquette. In the game that's supposed to be Coach K's last game, and Coach K is shaking yeah, the most high profile game of the college basketball yeah. season. Coach K is shaking Hubert Davis' hand, and Coach K, though I've talked about his issues and some of the things he's done on the handshake line, um, you know, they're going through it as everyone else is, and you're making it about yourself and your own feelings. Shame on you. And and I will say this, I feel a way about first time North Carolina has a black coach, they beat Coach K. You're not shaking his hand. That's a terrible look. It's a terrible look. Shame on Chris Carroll for that. I number two. That part oh, I don't have a problem with only because Carroll is black. I don't care. That has nothing to do with it to me. Because because I don't think that to me it's just a matter of respect, and we don't we don't see black men in that that in that in that leadership position often. Yeah, and we, I, know, that's, we that's all know we all know kin, skin folk are not always kin folk, or whatever that term is. So I can't say that because Carroll is black. That doesn't matter. It matters a lot to me. It matters almost. It almost matters more to me. You shook. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, Roy, how, Roy Williams was beating the bricks off of Coach K for a lot of years. You shook his hand all those years. The first time Hubert Davis when you can't shake his hand. And then I don't want to hear the, it. The backstory is there, there was frustration that North Carolina didn't didn't do anything for Coach K. They hate you, dudes. Oh. Yeah, I'm like it's a rivalry game. They don't like you. They're not supposed to. Yeah. And did Duke do anything for Roy? I don't remember them doing anything. I, I don't know. Um, and even if they did, I don't care. Yeah, it's I'm a like, rivalry. There's, obviously, there's respect. And I'm sure, I mean, I don't think North Carolina was 
was being disrespectful. And you know what, Kendall? What also, now you got me on a tangent. You know what also takes me off about that? Is if Duke would have won, I guarantee you Chris Carroll shakes that guy's hand. Oh, yeah. So that's why this thing is nonsense. First, he texts the, you know, the local reporter yeah. in Durham saying, oh, they didn't shake the hands before the game. Even though we have video of them shaking hands before a game. So he lied to a reporter. And then it's like, oh, what's our second story? Uh, well, they didn't honor Coach K. They're the only ACC team who didn't do it. When they're your freaking rival. There were people with the Boston Red Sox, Red Sox fans, Red Sox people, who didn't like them honoring Derek Jeter. Plenty of other Yankees honoring David Ortiz. There are people where the rivalry means something. Actually, I think it means something that Coach K went into Dean Dome and he got booed out of the arena. That's important. That's what college sports is all about. And guess what? It's made a lot of people at North Carolina and Duke very rich. While, yep. again, I'll say it again, a lot of them players who were literally shedding blood on that court, and including Chris Carroll, to his credit, but still got didn't get anything from it. So, no. I don't want to hear about, oh, because we didn't have an honorary thing with Coach K, I'm going to make this about myself and cause a scene and not shake someone's hand when we just saw, again, a melee ensue two weeks ago. You're supposed to be a leader. That was embarrassing leadership by Chris Carroll. And like I said, bozo behavior. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, even Nolan Smith didn't want to look him in the eyes. And uh, I don't have a problem with Nolan. It, it, that was lame, but I at least he shook his hand. I don't have a problem yeah, with that. I'm not going to go crazy on Nolan Smith. He shook his only, hand. Only whatever. to say that, like, clearly they 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 were not messing with Hubert Davis. I don't know the I don't I don't know really what the full context of that was. The excuses haven't been great. The excuses but, have been terrible, completely terrible. Like I yeah. really thought there'd be at least a decent excuse. And these excuses have been laughable. Just embarrassing. Yeah. And I think, and I feel ba- I feel look, bad for Coach K that that happened. I don't, like that I overshadowed don't a lot of stuff that we should not have even talking about that. But these guys yeah. made it about themselves. It was stupid. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the coaching stuff, I don't have as big a problem with coaching beefs and, you know, I had no problem. Look, I mean, we saw what can happen. We saw what Greg. But Garland that's my was. that's my problem. Is you saw what can happen when that thing Howard. happens. Exactly. Um. So yeah, you try to avoid it. Um. But as we saw with Jawan Howard, you know, sometimes maybe it's just best to just not engage. You know, I'm not saying don't shake the guy's hand, but as <laughs> you know, as we talked about the the Jawan Howard thing would have would have went a lot better had nobody shook any shook, shook anybody's hand. And they just, you know, did that's the why by. hashtag abolish the line. This all, all yep. of this is stemming from an archaic practice that is no longer necessary and may have never been necessary to begin with. Abolish the line, abolish the line, abolish the line. Thank you guys all for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. Of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to check out all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod, Instagram, New Generation Podcast. Find us on Facebook as well, searching New Generation Media. And follow us individually on social media. You can find myself on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart, Instagram, Action EJ. Kendall can be found on Twitter, New Gen Ken. Thank you guys again, once again, for checking us out. Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.